For today's episode, we're going to be talking about a case in Nebraska, USA, which began in 2016. But to tell this story, we're going back to the beginning. Welcome to the Miss Medical Podcast, Diagnosis Flatline. I'm your host, Destry Godwin. Miss Medical explores stories of misdiagnosis, malpractice, mysteries, and misogyny. You are my interns, and this is where true crime and medicine collide. This is Miss Medical. Andrea Nipfel, and I already apologize if I said that wrong because I don't know if that K is silent or not. Anyway, she was born in 1988 and grew up in a small community of Beaver Lake, Nebraska. For reference, it's about 30 minutes outside of Omaha, offering approximately 1,000 waterfront homes on the private Beaver Lake. After finishing high school, Andrea was accepted into the University of Nebraska-Omaha, where she pursued a degree in elementary education with a concentration on English as a second language. It was there that she met Jacob Marisek, where they happened to share a history class together. Andrea was 22 at the time, and Jacob was a few years junior to her at only 19. But that didn't really matter. It seemed like their fate to be together had been written in the stars, and the two fell deeply in love. They had met in 2010, and by 2014, they were married. The two lovebirds didn't waste any time getting down to business. And yes, that pun is intended. On February 21st of 2016, they welcomed their first child, Vivian. Andrea was a teacher to a first grade classroom, so she was certainly no stranger to nurturing young children. And Jacob owned a car dealership in Omaha called Marisek Motor Company. It seemed like their lives were just falling into place. They had no idea the battles they were about to face. Oh no, there it is. Something's going to (laughs) happen. Something always happens. Vivian was a happy, healthy, and lively child. Comments that I found from when she was just a baby said she had an infectious smile and a happy, loving character. Many people compared her to being such a natural people person, like her dad. Since this case takes place in the U.S., I'll just make a quick mention here that maternity leave for parents there is not as generous as we see in Canada or many European countries. 
But most people already know this, especially Americans. So they have daycares and childcare centers that are equipped to take young infants for when the parents need to return to work. Vivian was at such a daycare center where she had no trouble fitting in as a happy and curious little girl. And January of 2017 was just like any other month. Vivian had just celebrated her first Christmas and was a bright 11-month-old enjoying all the novel toys at her daycare center while her parents were busy tending to their careers. While Vivian was busy making her rounds through the toys, she did what many kids do in their early stages of mobility. She decided to stand on top of a toy. And like many other kids, she misjudged her ability to balance on it and slipped off, hitting her head on the floor. I'm sure for a daycare center full of curious little kids, this isn't an entirely uncommon scenario. I mean, testing these things is how kids learn boundaries, and I don't know any kids that haven't taken a tumble at least once or twice. Now, some of the timelines after this were not entirely clear during my research, so I'm going to use the facts that I know, but fill in some of the gaps. But those details won't change any bearing of the story. After Vivian fell, she started to have a seizure. I'm not sure if this was immediate after the fall or if there was a lapse of time in between. Either way, Vivian was taken to the hospital over serious concerns about head trauma. Her parents were present with her at the hospital, having been notified by the daycare about the incident. Vivian was assessed by an ER doctor at the Children's Hospital and Medical Center in Omaha, who did take steps to rule out a skull fracture. While both the doctor and Vivian's parents were relieved that there was no sign of a fracture found, it certainly didn't mean baby Vivian was in the clear. The doctor wanted to have her monitored further, so he transferred her care to a hospital pediatrician. Now, I'm assuming this is the same as we have here in Canada at both the Children's Hospital and the Trauma Hospital where I work. Basically, when a patient is stable enough to not require quote-unquote emergency care any further, but they're still too unwell to be sent home, they are typically admitted under a hospitalist for adults or a hospital pediatrician for children. This would mean that they would be transferred out of the ER and into a general medicine unit as an inpatient, where they can be monitored and treated until they're well enough to go home. This is most commonly used for patients who wouldn't require care from any particular specialty, so they're not quite sick enough to be admitted onto, say, a neurology unit or a surgical unit, for this to happen, at least where I work, it requires that the ER doctor requests a consult with the hospitalist or pediatrician while the patient is still in the ER. They explain the scenario, explain what's already been done, and why they would like the patient to be admitted. 
Sometimes this comes after the ER doctor has already consulted with another service, say a neurologist maybe, who has declined to admit the patient. But sometimes it's really just a direct consult to the hospitalist. The on-call hospitalist or pediatrician would then either accept or decline to admit the patient under their care, and at that point, they now become the most responsible provider for the patient. Something's going on here that you're describing the way the system works and the transfer of care to the hospitalist. Mm-hmm. Pray tell, because I feel like you're building building us up for something here. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I yeah. think it's Im- I think it's important here to note that there is a transfer of care that happens yeah. um, and that both parties that are involved in that transfer of care in the hospital are aware of the patient's condition, uh, the reasoning for it, and that that there is a consent on both sides to transfer the care of yeah. that patient. It was a, already a relief that you said that she baby went to children's hospital because they are yes. so much better equipped mm-hmm. for for this sort of thing. Okay, carry on. All right. The pediatrician who accepted responsibility for Vivian's care was Dr. Heidi Killeffer. Well, I can't possibly know her thought process. After monitoring Vivian for only a few hours, she told Andrea and Jake that the seizure appeared to be just a one-off anomaly and discharged Vivian home. Considering the excellent reputation of this hospital for its care of children, I'm sure Andrea and Jake were incredibly relieved that they had made it out so lucky. So they trusted the doctor and they took their baby girl home. Within 48 hours, though, their whole life would change. Less than two days after bringing baby Vivian home, she had another seizure. And another one. And another one. Oh, no. Her frantic, terrified parents rushed her back to the children's hospital, where she was put on a ventilator and admitted to the PICU, or Pediatric Intensive Care Unit. The medical team couldn't even tell the distraught parents if their baby girl would survive, or if she did, what type of lasting damage they might be facing. Why would she be put on a ventilator for, for having a seizure? To protect the airway. I'm guessing that as she was seizing, given oh, she her size, there's risk of you know swallowing a tongue or aspirating. There's a lot of complications. Mm. And if they were concerned, obviously, about brain damage as well, then they'd want to make sure that they're protecting that airway. I'm not sure if she actually was in respiratory distress at that point or if they were doing it as a precautionary um, to prevent if she did go into respiratory failure. Wow. Things were touch and go for a while. And understandably, I couldn't find any updates from the parents during Vivian's time in the PICU. They obviously had much bigger worries staying by Vivi's side day and night. The next update that I know for sure came on February 5th of 2017, when Vivian was finally taken off the ventilator and could be held again by her parents. 
She was finally well enough to be moved out of the PICU, but she still had a long battle ahead. Vivian suffered severe, irreparable brain damage from the seizures. Her parents would learn that their bright, beautiful daughter was now blind, unable to make out anything more than just a shadow outline of them. She would be unable to communicate, and she could not walk. She would require a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Where did that come from? I know. goodness. She's essentially suffering a form of acquired cerebral palsy. Vivian's parents filed a medical malpractice lawsuit against the hospital and the hospital pediatrician who had discharged her after that first seizure. As part of their rebuttal, and a low blow to the parents, the hospital suggested that the parents or Vivi's babysitter perhaps had abused her, resulting in the brain trauma. Wow, that is a really low blow. I know. Imagine, like, that is what you want to come back with. Yeah. Like, that wouldn't go particularly well in a court. No. And, and I mean, it sets off a chain of events, and the authorities actually did investigate those claims as part of their due diligence, but they ended up finding zero evidence of anybody hurting Vivi ever. Yeah. The court case did not progress quickly, which is pretty common in medical malpractice cases. Once it finally did go to trial, the hearing only took two weeks and the jury deliberated for two days before returning their verdict. The jury found that medical malpractice did occur, and Vivian's brain damage was a result of the hospital not monitoring her recovery and not giving anti-seizure medications to give her brain a chance to heal from that initial trauma. If they established that, in two weeks of court, it must have been a pretty slam dunk case of malpractice. I had the same thought. Because there's so many uh, factors that go in. And if it came down to that she should have been given anti-seizure medication, which I guess would have prevented further death. Why why wouldn't you, you know? Yeah, but yeah, I had the same thought for it to move that quickly through the court system. Once it got to the point of a trial, it must have been pretty clear. The jury also found that Dr. Killifer had improperly discharged baby Vivi, resulting in the chain of events that would lead to her being permanently disabled. The judgment awarded was a record-breaking amount for a malpractice case in Nebraska. The jury awarded $21.5 million to Vivian and $4.6 million to her parents for a total award of $26.1 million. Mm. Part of the reason that this amount was so large was to account for the lifetime cost of medical care that Vivian would require. The defendants, for their part, asked the court to impose Nebraska's cap of $2.25 million 
on medical malpractice verdicts, meaning that the total award would be reduced to only $4.5 million, with $2.25 being allocated to Vivian and then $2.25 allocated to her parents. The lawyers for Andrea and Jake argued that the cap would be unconstitutional considering the lifetime medical costs being considered. Man, I'm sorry. I'm just, I uh, was just thinking how we, uh, a medical malpractice suit like this, I mm-hmm. had two thoughts first, how I'm sure that money didn't really mean anything in some regard to her parents in that yeah. that's not, it establishes blame. Yeah. Um, and it establishes that they can afford to care for her. Yeah. And yes, their lives will be different with that money. But ultimately, it doesn't change the course of her daughter's life, of their daughter's life. Yeah. And, uh, and the second thing I was thinking was how in medical malpractice like this, the cost of a life or uh, an impediment to someone's good life can be put at you know, a dollar value of 15, 20, 25 million dollars. Mm-hmm. And yet how we can have so many people sick or dying of things and their life seems worthless. Right. But in a malpractice suit where it's professional versus patient, it's like it's unlimited. Yeah. You know? I I think on this one, what stuck out most to me was that they went to trial and they presented all of the evidence and the facts and a jury of their peers found that malpractice did occur. So a critical mistake happened that resulted in a one-year-old child becoming disabled for the rest of her life. Yeah, And that that was the fault of the hospital and that pediatrician. And instead of almost like, I guess, taking ownership over that error and what that cost not just to her parents but to the quality of life that Vivian would have they want to argue that they should be putting a cap on it yeah like that just it seems like such a low blow when you already deal with you know the hospital trying to argue that maybe she had actually been abused and that was where the head trauma came from and now they've been found to actually be in the wrong and they're trying to argue well you know that judgment's too high you need to and that's not a small reduction. You're going from 26 million down to like four and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Surprising coming from a children's hospital too. You, you, and when I think of the staff at the children's hospital that you work at, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. You, you feel like the walls are almost a bit softer at children's hospitals, if that makes sense. Yes. Generally, everyone wants to be there. Everyone's good with kids. Yeah. And there's this sort of underlying welcoming feeling about a children's hospital yeah and no one wants to make a mistake because that would that weighs on your conscience so much more when it's you know someone who's so helpless and is there dependent on you yeah but you know as soon as lawyers get involved um it becomes not about emotions and yeah personal loss it becomes about dollars yeah. And that's, I feel like to us, it's frustrating to hear about what the hospital was arguing. Yeah. But it wasn't the hospital. It was the very highly paid legal department for the hospital. That's that's true. I, I can't say definitively if that 
the idea to go that route with arguments came from the hospital and the pediatrician or if that came from lawyers, right? So yeah, yeah, I I don't want to point too many fingers there on who came up with that idea, but it's still just so frustrating. It just leaves a bitter taste, doesn't it? Now, interestingly, I did a little research on this and part of the reason that that cap on medical malpractice suits exists in Nebraska is because in that state in particular, the award isn't actually paid by the hospital or the physician. It's paid from the Nebraska Liability Fund, which is a pool of money that healthcare providers pay into like an insurance policy. After this case had been decided and the controversy came up about wanting to reduce the amount awarded based on that cap, a Nebraska state senator actually announced a plan to introduce a bill which would raise that cap from $2.25 million up to $10 million. Well, that still wouldn't cover the amount that Vivian had been awarded, it's certainly a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And there was talk of the bill even including a catastrophic exception for cases like Vivi's, where it's clear that the impact on her life and her future medical needs will exceed $10 million. Of course, the Nebraska Association that represents hospitals and medical providers has contested this, claiming that increasing the cap will drive up premiums to medical providers. And this sure smells a lot like the arguments that surround Florida's free kill law, which we covered in Keith Davis's case a few weeks ago. Mm. They don't want those costs to go up to their providers for the fear that it's going to drive providers away and end up hurting their healthcare system in the long run. That's a vicious circle, isn't it? It is, but I also think it's really interesting that so much argument went into this when the hospital and the physician don't actually pay any of that amount that was awarded anyway. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure here, like you have malpractice insurance, which is to cover situations like that. But if you have a claim on your malpractice insurance, then your premiums change. Mm -hmm. And it's, I find it really backwards that this is being paid from a pool of money And the argument is that they want to keep the cap where it is because they don't want to have to raise that premium to make up for having to pay out for malpractice cases. Yeah. Well, if there is a malpractice and you have to pay out, that's what happens. You have to pay more premiums, right? Yeah. And I mean, I feel like that doesn't really account for the actual cost of medical care for the lifetime of a very young child through to when they're old. Right. Especially... No offense, but in the U.S. In America, yeah. It is ridiculous yeah. the costs that, that they incur or insurance companies incur. Yes. Um, every specialist, every hospital visit, like I can't imagine what that over a lifetime would look yeah. like. Yeah. And equipment and specialists yes. and, and coming to the house specialists. And yeah, it's, um, you know, the cap doesn't really account for that. Right. So, or, or that everything is inflated right right now it's inflated and mm-hmm. it could get even worse in the states it's worse than it is in canada yeah but doesn't account for that 
it's not no, it's, in, it's just, not indexed no it's just right? here's the cap and right. uh if it's if you were injured or hurt beyond this then too bad yeah i wonder to what came of this where instead of worrying about how much a hospital is going to need to pay or the fund will have to pay out on the next malpractice mm-hmm. i wonder if it was ever addressed how do we reduce malpractice suits what well, you know like the you mean the logical way of thinking yeah, yeah. It's treating treating the uh, treating it in the first place right. rather than waiting for symptoms and then trying to fix the symptoms but not the cause. In in this case, reducing malpractice suits, right? Or at least the severe ones. But it it know. seems to be such a common theme because when we on the Keith Davis episode where I kind of dived into the Florida free kill law, I mean their law is that. If a patient dies as a result of medical malpractice, if they don't have a spouse and they don't have minor children, nothing happens. Nobody can sue or pursue legal action. So their life just has zero value and zero meaning. It, It is literally a free kill law. If that person is single and has grown children... As a doctor, you can screw up wherever you want and end up killing them and nothing happens. I didn't know that. It's mind-blowing. And this has that same kind of like gross, sticky undercurrent scent to me where you're like, how is this okay? Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> Vivian is now a six-year-old girl who has not let her disability dampen her spirit. And as for Andrea and Jake, they went on to grow their family. They welcomed Juliana in 2018, Penelope in 2020, and just recently welcomed baby Beckham in spring of 2022. Crikey, they are busy. I know, but you you should see the pictures because they are like the most adorable family. Can we see the pictures? Yes, on Instagram, of course. Oh, good one. Yes, they are like, they're, the kids are just so unreal gorgeous. Mm. Well, the family seems to definitely be happy and thriving. I am sure that Vivian's disability will always be a harsh reminder of the price of medical malpractice. Good one. Jeez, yeah. That's so tragic when you get someone so something... Someone's so young yes, and they fall in their head, which I'm sure millions, in fact, probably everybody and does probably at some point. Probably every kid, yeah. I mean, geez, even one of ours cracked his head on a corner of a table. Yeah, one fell down the stairs. Yeah, ran into a wall. Yes, like straight on into a wall. Yeah, and our, you know, youngest fell down the stairs and got a black eye. Mm-hmm. Like kids are pretty tough, you know, yeah. and they're, they're pretty... Uh, their heads are pretty hard. Yes. Right? Yeah. Kids are made of rubber usually. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, one event changes your whole life. And it was something that everybody does. I know. I think that's what's so scary about this story is, yeah, every kid falls yeah. at some point and bangs their head or... And it's not like she was doing anything recklessly mm-hmm. or she wasn't being supervised. She's just she's being a kid who's learning how to, you know, find her own boundaries and she's messing around. And didn't change just the course of her life, mm-hmm. but the course of her parents' life, too. 
Yeah. Yeah. Especially as, you know, young, a young married couple and that's your first child and to go through that experience and the demands and the needs for the rest of all of their lives mm-hmm. that it does it changes your entire course of life well, i imagine one of the hardest things for her parents is that uh it's what you could have had mm-hmm. or what you had yeah and it feels like it was taken away that it's you. it is so true that is the worst it's like having a you know you have a lottery ticket and you miss it by one number yeah. your life is the same as it was two minutes before but now you feel you yeah know, but in, you know in vivian's case obviously they had everything and yeah. it was like through somebody's mistake it was all it was taken away from them and yes. then you have to almost rebuild and start again which they did yeah you know and then you you adapt but uh still a tragic story yeah and i'm I do feel like, I don't know if they did, but I would imagine if it was me, you really do go through a process of grief. Yeah. Not obviously because they lost their child, but because they lost the vision and the dreams of what they had imagined their child to be. Yeah. And that grief is absolutely just as real. Yeah. You know, who knows what they had pictured that she would grow up and, you know, she was going to be a figure skater and a ballerina. And then she was going to, you know, you just don't know what dreams they already had for her and the plans to support her in whatever she did. And then to have those opportunities ripped away from her and her parents chance to experience those with her and support her through them. It, it is a really tragic loss. It is. Yeah. Sometimes life is, it seems like it's such a throw of the dice Yeah, and you try to steer those dice in the right way. But, uh, you know, sometimes they land wrong and well, people get dealt bad cards mm-hmm. and, uh, the only thing we can do is learn from them. That's true. You know, that's the best thing, I guess, do comes the, out of it. Do the Forrest Gump. Well, laughs like a box of chocolates. Yeah. The, you never know what you're going to get. Good one. <laughs> Is that what you meant? Yeah. <laughs> For sources and additional show notes, follow the link in the episode summary to our website. If you'd like to see pictures related to the episodes and the Miss Medical Podcast, you can find us on Instagram as Miss Medical Podcast. If you love Miss Medical and want to support the show, find us on Patreon where you can officially join the intern team. All episodes are written by myself and aim to be as factually accurate as possible. Music is an original composition recorded and produced by Jason Chamberlain. And of course, make sure you follow the podcast on your chosen platform so you never miss an episode.